leadership has always been challenging, but today the pressures and unrelenting changes are greater than ever before. Leaders must manage an increasingly complex work environment made up of both remote and hybrid teams. To add to that, many team members are facing economic health and family care demands. So leaders have to be even more flexible and creative in order to be effective. We know that energized and engaged people and teams are the lifeblood of every organization. I'm Leanne Rogers, host of Leading Better Teams, and I arm leaders with everything you need to build happy and high-performing teams, all served up with empathy, humor, and a dash of Southern charm. Join me each month as I share the most effective and actionable insights, models, tips, and tools to help you lead better teams. Let's get started. Hi, this is Leanne Rogers with the Leading Better Teams podcast, and I'm so excited about today's episode. This is actually going to be the last episode of season one, and I'm doing it a little bit different today. Today, I'll be talking with Erin Grau of Charter. She's the co-founder and COO of this organization, and she's going to be talking all about the future of work and leaders. Her organization does so much research and talks to so many people, and she is just a wealth of knowledge. And so tune in. There are nuggets from beginning to end. I can't wait for you to listen in. I am so excited to introduce to you all Erin Growl of Charter. She has got such an amazing background and experience, and I know it's going to share so much with us as we all are starting to explore, you know, what is the future of work and how, how are we going to adapt and work well so that our teams and our organizations are really thriving? Welcome, Erin. I'm so happy you're here today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, why don't you kick us off by just telling us a little bit about Charter and how you got involved? You know, what was it about Charter that got you excited so that you wanted to be a co-founder? Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm the co-founder and COO of Charter. My co-founders and I have had long careers in media and I've really spent my entire career in global organizations, mostly media organizations and startups steering people and organizations toward the future. So at the New York Times, I was the first vice president of transformation. And in that role, I was building systems and culture to transform and modernize a 160 plus year old institution. And then I went to a startup where I built this integrated global talent organization. I oversaw the growth of this team from 50 to 500 people um, globally. And it was just so exciting and so interesting. And one thing I always wanted in both of those roles was some kind of playbook, some kind of vision for the future of what the company could look like. And Kevin Delaney, my co-founder, started a newsletter called Reset Work in September And it was really focused on how organizations were going to come back together, what work would look like on the other side of the pandemic. And we spent a lot of time talking about the content, which evolved into really creating a business because we had so much interest from our readers and also leaders at organizations who were coming to us for sense making. And so we created this company. We have a third co-founder, Jay Loff, who was Kevin's co-founder at Quartz. And he also worked at The Atlantic and and Wired magazine. And so we have, like I said, these long careers in media and really believe in the impact and power of of media to, to change hearts and minds. 
Oh, I love that. It's such an impressive team. And I've gotten to speak to Jay as well. And I was so excited to see the newsletter the very first time I saw it. It was packed with just really useful information around what is happening and what is going to happen. And so thank you for compiling all that and putting that together where we can get it uh, weekly in our mailboxes if we want to. In fact, we'll link to that in the show notes so people I'm sure are going to want to subscribe to your newsletter charter. Yeah, great. Thank you for saying that. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking to academics, researchers, practitioners, and then also doing a lot of research and and doing all of the reading of all of the many, many articles that are coming out and trying to make sense of it. I think our role right now really is about sense-making and about, you know, showcasing this vision for the future and shaping beliefs and priorities around that future. And so the newsletter is still still a free product and will still be a free free for anyone who who can use it and is interested in this space. And you know, as an organization, we're building more and more ways for leaders and organizations and teams to understand what the future could look like and help them accelerate progress towards that future. So Erin, what are you seeing as the future of work? What are some of the big things that stand out to you? It's such a good question. To me, I think the rigidity of work pre-pandemic is gone. And I think flexibility is here to stay. So that's one really big piece. And that looks really different for a lot of people and a lot of organizations. And we think, you know, autonomy is a really, really big part of that. So an example, you know, there are all of these companies that are coming up with work from anywhere, you know, work arrangements. And so Spotify and Salesforce are two of the big ones. And when Salesforce talks about flexibility, they explicitly talk about caregivers and how flexibility is going to support caregivers, which it will. And then, you know, Spotify just says they talk about kind of more about the talent pool and broadening, you know, the range of the insights and abilities and and locations where people could apply and join Spotify. And so flexibility is really going to do a lot of things for organizations if people do it really well. Um, so that's, that's I think, the, the main thing for us. And I think also, you know, inclusion. I mean, we, we've seen, especially recently, that companies are out there saying a lot more now, but they're not really backing that up with um, data or systems or, you know, outcomes. And so I think there's going to be a bigger focus on inclusion, especially for so many organizations that are coming back for hybrid work. Hybrid work we think is one, it's like the most preferred model by employees and employers. But two, we think it really is the way that organizations can get the benefits of traditional co-location, which is about coordination and collaboration, connection, and also the benefits of remote work, which is flexibility, reduced carbon footprint, and in some studies, higher engagement. And so the challenge with hybrid work um, will be to really make the implicit explicit so that there aren't more inequities, that you're actually creating the right systems and the, the norms and being really transparent about that so that everyone has a chance to thrive. Yeah, it seems too with hybrid work, what I'm experiencing and just working with teams of all different sizes and types around is that they're trying to figure out what is hybrid work going to look like for us, right? And yeah. so where are we now and where are we going? And then now as, as COVID starts to kind of peak again or rise again, is it going to change? So it's like this it's fluid and it's evolving. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of organizations are kind of still trying to figure that out. When do you think people will have an idea or a pattern as far as how to work in a hybrid way that that works for the team and works for the organization? 
Yeah. I mean, I think the companies that are, are going to survive this or maybe even thrive through this period are the ones that are experimenting and saying, hey, we don't have all the answers. These are the inputs right now. So, you know, a company like HubSpot is a great example. They went hybrid in December. They're learning a lot. They're looking at a lot of different things. So it's not just a logistics problem is how do you bring people back to an office? But they're looking at, they have three different models that employees can choose this from. So there's some employee choice, which I think is important, but they're bringing people back together in a thoughtful way so that they can actually get the benefits of hybrid work. So they're not, they're thinking about, the office as a tool to get work done. That's what companies need to be doing differently. What we're seeing a lot is that companies are coming to us, for example, and they have a very clear idea about a work schedule. And this is when people will be working in the office, but they're not asking why people are working in the office. We just proved that most knowledge workers can work from outside of the office and still do their jobs. And so now when we bring people together, we have to think about why we're bringing them together And that's really around socialization and knowledge sharing, onboarding. I think, too, we're seeing some companies revisit onboarding when they bring people back for people who started in the last 17 months because, you know, onboarding is something that's really challenging to do remotely. And so I think I think it's going to be more about experimentation and making sure you get hybrid right so that everybody has a chance to thrive in this new environment. Yeah, I think the word experiment is is the word of the day, right? It's funny, I've, I feel like I've used that word a lot. I think we're all experimenting. We have been really for a while, haven't yeah. we? What works, what doesn't, and trying on things and being agile so that you can adjust really quickly and see what works. I've been recommending to teams, try, you know, try to figure out what you think will work in the next couple of months and try it on, see what works, and then evaluate it, debrief, figure out what's working and not, and keep making adjustments as you go. Yeah. As you think about like leaders, what, what do you advise leaders? Like is, is they're trying to guide their teams or help their teams figure out their new way of working and w- whether they're going to be in the office or, or work from home or have complete flexibility or maybe on Tuesdays and Thursdays from, you know, from 12 to 5, everyone's supposed to be in the yeah. office together. What are some of the questions that that leaders and teams can be thinking about to figure out their best way to go? Yeah, and the way we advise a lot of companies is one, like I just said earlier, like the, the why. So why are you bringing people back? What will the office be for? And then designing around that. And so what that actually is looking like is not necessarily just, again, having the same day that you had on Monday at home, but at Tuesday at the office. It's, it's more about those connections. Building relationships is a really big one. And so we're encouraging leaders to not only kind of share with their teams that that's the goal of bringing people back together, especially people who work on the same projects to build those relationships, but also to model that. And so that's not necessarily going meeting to meeting to meeting when you're in an office. It's more about connecting with people. And there are a lot of great ways that we're we're advising people to do that. And then in terms of, you know, with leaders, we've really been saying this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to reset for better this next phase of work could be a time of transition for sure and will be. It's going to be messy and really complex, but it also has the potential to be this time of great transformation. And we don't want people to miss that moment. It really means, you know, new ways of leading, like recognizing the power of positive mental health and the price of ignoring it. It means understanding that inclusion and diversity is not about compliance. It's about power. And again, that these relationships are really worthy of time and investment. 
So it's just going to require new leadership skills in, a, in addition to kind of the logistics around how we're we bringing back people back together. And then what we talked about earlier with experimenting, making sure that you're constantly looking at the data and trying to understand, is this working? Is this not working? And then adjusting. Yeah, that's so interesting because you, you even talked about earlier caretakers and, and really needing to be aware of how to support caretakers in the workplace, which is maybe something a lot of team leaders or organizations hadn't thought about before. And now you're yeah. talking about how leaders need to be aware of the emotional and mental health of their employees. So yeah. how is that changing? I'm, I'd love to hear more about that or if you have a story about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's changing so much. Like in February of 2020, most managers were looking after their employees from nine to five and, and their work output. And now our relationship with work has changed so much where it's more intertwined than ever before. And managers and leaders and organizations are are really asked to or expected to to look after an employee and their family and their community beyond the nine to five. And so that's a real, that's one really big shift. And then also, you know, organizations have so much pressure. So many institutions have failed the American people and the American employee for so long. And that pressure is on the private sector to step up and lead in things like racial justice, things like mental health, caregiving, parental leave. And so, you know, I, I think things are just changing so quickly. Not to mention that managers traditionally have not had the resources or training. A lot of managers were great individual contributors and then they become managers. And those are two different, those are two totally different jobs. When you're an individual contributor, you drive business impact through strategy and execution. When you're a manager, you drive business impact through hiring and retaining and, and developing talent. And those are, again, totally different jobs. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of managers think that their job is to mainly drive strategy and execution along with a few other people that are also doing that. And it's just wrong. You know, you talk about the shift from being, you know, being promoted into a leadership role. Absolutely. That it's different. I was, I was, I read something recently about people are most open to learning and ideas when they go through a really big shift. So when someone gets promoted from being an employee to being a manager or supervisor, they're really open at that time because it, there are all these things they don't know, right? They don't know how to lead or hire or maybe coach someone through a difficult situation. And so they're really open and they learn a lot. And then after someone's been a manager for a while, they often are less open to learning, um, at least at that level, because they start to get skill sets and build them. Well, one of the things that you just said it kind of triggered for me is Right now, leaders who may have led for 20 years and have really, you know, masterful skills at leading, they're at a place where they're having to learn a whole different way of leadership, right? Maybe their team is hybrid and or changing and or their team has all these other things going on in their lives that now they are more a part of than they used to be. So I would imagine a lot of leaders right now are for two things. One, uh, tired, <laughs> kind of overwhelmed yeah. themselves from everything. And two eager and curious and trying to figure out how to figure out the best way to lead in these times. Yeah, I think that's right. And we're hearing that too from organizations and from leaders. And, you know, I, I think there's a few different things that come to mind for me. You know, one is I, I do think there are new leadership competencies. 
And, and those competencies are around, you know, giving direction while enabling maximum autonomy, like demonstrating fairness and respect and equity as you steward the business, like communicating often and openly, active listening. I mean, these are things that we haven't typically pushed leaders on. It's mostly around, you know, laying out an inspiring vision, driving business results. And so I think that's really new. And so I think it's giving managers setting those expectations and giving them permission and also giving them the tools to do that. So one example, it's really easy, you know, on in one-on-ones is literally to start with the question, how are you doing? What can I be doing to better support you? What is really challenging in your work and personal life that I can help you resolve today? And then also things like, you know, there's this great two-by-two that we've been doing with some people That's that I think is a really great tool, which is to start this conversation with your direct employee or your, even your team is create a two-by-two two where on one side it's like and dislike and on the other access it's pre and during the pandemic so that you can really start helping employees understand what it is that they want to keep and what they want to get rid of. And so one of those things that you, they might want to keep is a family dinner. And so helping employees understand and build the right work-life rhythm and then help them protect those boundaries will be incredibly important it's not going to change overnight, you know, that where someone, you know, a manager maybe that wasn't talking to their employee about their mental health and wellness and and how to support them beyond the work product. Um, that's going to be a shift. But I think it, it's something that employees are certainly expecting. And it's something that, you know, I think is the new way forward for leadership. So are you, are you saying you're seeing leadership being more less less about just focused on goals and numbers and metrics and and being productive and very focused on the human side of leading and the human side of being an employee and a person at work and what it's like right. and creating an experience where people have balance and feel heard and feel included. Right, exactly. And, and I think those are related in that if an employee, if their life work works for them, or if you take care of them, they're going to take care of your business. And there's so much data around that too, that it's not they're not separate things. They're actually the same thing. If you want an employee to be focused and productive and engaged, then you need to help them get there. And now leaders are really having to step up to make sure that employees, um, you're looking at employees' well-being, you know, more holistically. And it's not just, again, between nine to five. And there's this interesting study. I mean, so Gallup did a study that suggests that only 10% of people naturally have all of the traits to be a great manager. Um, so 10% is pretty low. But the good news about that is that those skills can be learned and that bosses can focus on being kind and they can be thankful, which means like celebrating achievements. They should be positive. So that helps to build employee confidence and reinforces the right behaviors and values. And then aware, they need to be aware they need to take care of their own physical and emotional well-being through mo- and and modeling the right work-life rhythms and then supporting employees and being aware of what employees needs are. And so that's another way I think to look at it and it's very simple and straightforward and you know a lot of leaders are saying okay like those things feel so small but there's so much research especially now after all of the like grief and trauma of the last 17 months that's what leaders great leaders are going to do going forward. Oh, let's dig into leaders taking care of themselves here for just a minute and leading the way, because Mm -hmm. I bet in the last two weeks, at least four leaders that I've spoken to have talked about 
how they work crazy hours and long weekends, but they don't want their teams to, and they don't expect their teams to. And we talk about with that with them. But when you're doing that, you know, you're modeling the behavior that, you know, people look at that and observe you and say, well, if you're working 40 hours or you're emailing me over the weekend, even if you tell me you don't want me to, most employees feel like if I want to be successful here, that's what I need to do too. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, yeah, so I think there's there's one exercise we're doing with a lot of leaders as as people are coming back together and we're actually at Charter, we're creating this return to workplace toolkit. We are, you know, launching it now and we're really focusing on helping first the managers figure out what it is that they need, how they want to work. And I think they should do the same exercise that two by two I was mentioning earlier. They should be doing the same thing to see like, what do I want to go to a yoga class at 12 o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays? Is that something that I need to feel great and productive and healthy and well? And, and then, so that's one part. They need to do the, the kind of the personal, the like work life rhythm scheduling part. And then, and then looking at their calendar to make sure that their calendar reflects the, their priorities, both, both personal and professional. And as you say, managers watch, sorry, employees watch their managers for cues on how, how to behave. And they look at who gets promoted in their company, what is rewarded in their company. And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done around social norms and making the implicit explicit. So how people get promoted, what our values are, how do you operationalize those values when someone has caregiving responsibilities? This is actually something from the Future Forum at Slack that they did. They have, they use Slack as their communication tool internally, and they have a caregiving status update you know, with a heart that says caregiving to really normalize that. And and so when you're, if you're going to pick up your child in the middle of the day or your, your sitter calls out and you are taking the afternoon to with your children or maybe you're taking care of an older parent, you could put the status up to really normalize that. And really? so there's a lot of, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that idea. I, I haven't heard that. Yeah, same. And so I think there, there, there are small things like that that really have such a disproportionate impact so yeah, I think there's a lot. And then I think there's also like boundary management. So so step one is an employee or a manager saying, these are the things that I need to feel healthy and well and, and to thrive here, both personally and professionally. And then working with manager, their manager to actually help keep those boundaries. So establish those boundaries, maintain those boundaries around maybe around, you know, scheduling and space. Maybe it's around interpersonal. So when can colleagues reach out? When are you available for synchronous work? And when will you be doing asynchronous work? I mean, that's one thing that's really interesting, actually, related about Twitter is they actually are focusing on asynchronous work. And so that is going to help enable that flexibility, too. And so I think it's those, it sounds very like a subtle shift, but those things are actually really meaningful. And those are the things that are, I think, are going to have such a bigger impact on on retention, which we know there's a huge, you know, the numbers are so high of people who are looking and hoping to leave their jobs this year alone. It's between 40 and 52%, depending on what study you're looking at, um, really high. So yeah, it's intense. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of Yeah, so like, exactly. So yeah. And then I think just engagement and productivity, they're all related to how well you feel cared for at work. So it's, it's so interesting as you share this, you know, there's so much uncertainty and change and there's been a lot of stress with it. And at the same time, there's so much opportunity, isn't there, for us to rethink and recalibrate 
instead of just kind of doing it the way we've always done it. I think that's one thing that's come um, through all this change with the pandemic is we have the opportunity to to really reinvent and do what's great for the organization and for the individuals as well, which is, which is exciting. It's exciting right now. It's, yeah, it's exciting. And, and there's, you know, there's, there's some, you know, interesting trends in the this year's best companies lists. Like, I mean, there's so many of them, but, but the highest rated companies this year are really, you know, they're, caring of their employees and their employees feel cared for, not just personally, but but for their communities and the issues that are really important to them. And organizations are speaking up about that. Um, and t- trust, there's a lot of trust in those organizations that there's feedback and it's, it's up and down and across the organization and that there's flexibility and autonomy is really valued. And so we're seeing that companies that are, again, weathering the storm of COVID are the companies that are really focused on on these things. And again, building trust, flexibility, autonomy, greater clarity in their organization so that their employees can really show up and and bring to life the best work of their lives. Erin, you mentioned community, that employers are supporting the employee's community. What, what does that look like? Yeah. After the murder of George Floyd, there were a lot of companies that spoke up. A lot of companies were pushed by their employees to speak up. And employees want to be somewhere that where they feel value values aligned. And so I think that's one major way that companies were really showing up. Now, I think a lot of companies did not follow that up with the right systems, the right resource and energy dedicated to making real change. So that is something that companies need to definitely work on going forward. But and and I also think, you know, the during the pandemic, especially for Americans of color and in certain communities, they were just rocked by COVID disproportionately. And so really, I think one is from the caring perspective is making sure that they're checking in with employees and making sure that they are communicating about what is available in terms of like mental health resources, time away, um, time for grieving, and holding space for that. Because when we come back, the people who are coming back to the office are not the same ones who left in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one big way, again, with the employee at the center of just how they've been impacted over the past, you know, 17 months. And then, yeah, and I think just broadly in their communities, I think the way forward, and and we wrote a charter, we're called Charter, and we wrote a charter about what dynamic and successful, healthy, equitable organizations look like. And one of the things that we believe is that organizations should positively impact employees, their families, and their communities. And um, that's going to look different. That could be, you know, volunteer hours, or it could be actually dedicating, you know, dollars to causes that that affect, you know, the, the communities and the employees that you have. So it can look, it could show up in a lot of different ways, but just organizations are really, smart organizations are putting a focus on how they can can more positively impact um, everyone the organization touches. Great, great examples. You, you know, it makes me think of another leadership competency that's really important right now, which is the ability to empathize, right? To, to yeah. put yourselves in, in the employee's shoes and think about what it's like and, and then react and not just empathize, but then act on that. So figure mm-hmm. out, given your situation, you know, how do we create a situation where you feel cared about, where you feel heard, um, where you can be the most productive employee that you can be and, and feel satisfied, engaged, and fulfilled by the work that you do. Right. 
Right. I think, yeah, empathy is so, it's just so critical. And, and I, you know, and, and like I, we were saying, certain communities have been disproportionately impacted by the two pandemics in this country, um, you know, COVID and, and racism. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's really time for, for leaders to, to take a bigger role and, and understand that employees have so much going on, have been through so much, and they cannot be expected to just show up and work the same ways that they did in February of 2020. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, there's a lot for leaders to be. We're asking a lot of leaders, right? That we need them to stand up and do this. And this is a lot. And they're going through their own personal lives and changes and challenges and grief moments and all of that too. What do you see the the leaders that are having the most success right now and and feeling the most satisfied? Is there anything that they do specifically to to take care of themselves and or to be sure that they have support systems in place to to grow and learn and you know have people to lean into? Yeah, I think that's that's a really good question. I think a lot about especially the 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 heads of human resources at organizations that just have so much coming at them. And I do think it's that time to rest and recover and making sure that they take the time to do that. And, and a lot of organizations are actually, Bumble did this, you know, stepping up to take, HubSpot did this, to take a week off and the entire organization is off. You know, when you go on vacation and you're off, but everyone else right. is working, it's so challenging when you come back and, and you feel like you're missing something. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think these those weeks are really healthy for the entire organization to have to collectively and so the, to the extent that can happen, I would highly recommend that. But in terms of, you know, thought partnership and just like a, a, a space and place to vent, I mean, I love the idea of, you know, mentorship circles are great. And again, just asking and checking in more frequently, it's not necessarily leaders to their direct employees, but just everyone is going through a lot and just opening up the space, maybe at the beginning of team meetings, one exercise I love, which has actually helped helps build psychological safety is at the beginning of meetings, red, yellow, green. So how are you showing up today, red, yellow, green, with some context? So I might say, I'm a yellow today. My kids are transitioning to camp, right? A new camp, and it's really challenging. Or I might say, oh, you know what? My, I'm a red today. I found out my my grandmother is really ill, and I'm, I'm really distracted right now. And so those that that space is so important and normalizing, talking about the things that are weighing on you as a human will be really important in building those, you know, connections and and building those relationships so that you can kind of talk, you know, more openly. And also as a business, those connections that you build are how information flows throughout an organization. So they're incredibly important. And we know that high-performing teams have high-quality connections. And so not to necessarily bring it just back to the work, but I do believe people outcomes drive business outcomes. And and by doing this, you will really strengthen those relationships and strengthen um, your your company. I think you're absolutely right. I was talking to a, a leader just the other day, and she was telling me how she's a, a controller for her for her organization. It's it's a plant, and they had hired some consultants to come in and bring in a brand new system and software. It was going to change, you know, their entire payroll system, and it didn't go well. And they had to let those uh, contractors go. And she had enough background to be able to take that on in addition to her role. And in order to do that, she was working, like she said, 80 to 90 hour weeks for a three to four month period of time to get it done. 
And she was like, her attitude was like, I was happy to do it because I could do it because I love this organization and I want this organization to succeed, you know? And, and so her willingness to go above and beyond and not even be resentful or angry about it was because she felt like her company cared about her, had her back, you know, w- yeah. would do the right thing. So you're absolutely yeah. right. When we do things, when leaders spend time to create connections and make sure employees are engaged and fulfilled, they get a whole lot more out of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have one more question for you around hybrid. I'm kind of curious. This is a little bit of a tactical question, but I know you all are so into the research and I love reading your newsletter because of that. You put all those great ideas together. I think I think we were talking about, you know, what can leaders do for themselves? And I think one idea I know for me is, you know, I want to know what other people are doing because it gives me ideas. And I think your your newsletter and the work that you all do at Charter is, is you know, making it easy for us, right? Just putting it right in our hands. One of the things I read a few weeks ago, which was really interesting to me, was that one leader said, he recommended that you, with a flexible workplace, rather than have mm-hmm. everyone come and go as they choose, that you would choose mm. certain days where everyone was in the office and then certain days where everyone was not. And it was because of the inclusion reason, right? Because right. if ever, there would be some people who might choose to come in every day and they would almost have a, an advantage over the people who were choosing to work remotely. I thought that was right. a really interesting way to think about it because I would have probably thought it's let everyone choose, let everyone choose their own schedule. But when you do that, there could be inequities. What are your thoughts about that, Erin? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about this. So this was um, Stanford economics professor Nicholas Bloom, I believe, and he wrote an HBR piece about this. But so the first thing is that to get the benefits of hybrid, you have to do hybrid right. You have to bring people who work together together to, you know, that's what's going to smooth the cooperation and coordination, those conversations, that that um, social connection, those spontaneous meetings with people who work together. And so I think the spirit of it, you know, was bringing people together, project teams or people who work together. So looking at the interaction model of your company and understanding who is working most closely and how can they meet face-to-face to move projects forward together and, and generate ideas about new products together. And so, and, and what we're seeing with some companies, there's another school of thought where you give employees choice the challenge with that is, as you say, there could be some inequities. So if people do not shore up their internal practices. So for example, we know that 21% of white knowledge workers want to come into an office. Only 3% of black knowledge workers want to. Um, we know that caregivers and women and people of color are more likely to choose flexibility if given the option. And what we don't want to happen is that they're given the option, but there's actually this secret rule in the company where if you are in person, you get the projects, you have access to raises, and you have access to promotions. There was actually a study that we published two weeks ago about this, which was that actually more than half of people surveyed believed that people in the office would have more access to raises and promotions. And so right now, the work is to, A, figure out why you're bringing people back together, B, how you're bringing people back together, and then C, what practices are going to change and how you can make those more explicit so that there are more objective frameworks in place. So for example, HubSpot did this where they're looking at the mobility rates within their company, and they were looking at gender and race and ethnicity before, and they've added workplace preference. So they're saying to everybody, it's your choice of they have three models and you can choose, but they're going to make sure sure that 
if you choose flexibility, that you are not, your promotions and raises are not impacted by that decision and that need that you have for greater flexibility and more time working remotely. And so, yeah, it's about shoring up these internal practices like talent management, doing the bias checks, doing the education around proximity and visibility bias. I don't think there's a lot of malintent here. I do think that things need to change. And we think that this is a time of transformation. But in order to do hybrid well, and for, again, everybody to thrive, you're going to need to shore up these practices and be very clear about what success looks like. And ideally, you'd also be giving every employee a vision into long-term career success too, which will reduce the distraction for them so they are very clear about what it's going to take versus wondering why someone else got a promotion, when a promotion is coming up. That's a lot of energy that should be actually um, applied to their work and their lives and not to wondering if they're going to get a promotion because there are some unspoken rules. That's so interesting. Are there any studies out there about what's the minimum amount of time that teams should be together, like in an office environment for a team to work really well? Like, are there any minimum or or average numbers, like, you know, one day a week, two days a week? Not that I've seen. I haven't seen an explicit, because every, you know, company and organization and type of work is different. So I haven't explicitly seen that or certainly nothing that would would apply globally to every industry or, or role. But it's such an interesting question. And I wonder if someone, I'm sure there's, There are some teams or academics working on that right now. But, you know, I think what we do know is that the building those relationships, literally the personal kind of how uh, getting to know you is one of the most powerful things you can do when you get together. And I don't think that's a time bound exercise. It could be in a few minutes or many minutes. So, for example, there's this great exercise that we heard of um, and we've recommended to several leaders that you have one-on-ones, and people are doing this remotely because most people are actually not in the office and not mandatory. The office is not a place where everyone's working yet. But where you do one-on-one breakouts and you have two minutes to find out what you have in common with the other person. And so, and there's research that says, like, that is what is helps build those relationships and that, like, commonality is what what helps you strengthen those bonds in a team, which is how you get the benefits of... Yeah. Yeah, those connections. And so I think there's research like that that tell me, at least right now, that it's not a minimum or maximum amount of time. It's just the effort of actually getting to know people, finding the things that you have in common, building a personal, you know, relationship to the extent that you can so that you are able to actually better work together on projects. Yeah, I'm all about that, Erin. It builds trust is what it does, right? As you get to know people and really know them, not just, oh, you're doing this project, but know people as humans, that's what begins to build trust and connection, which makes us feel happy at work. I've got a a better team's model. And this is all just, I'm just thinking as you say things where it fits into this model and building connection builds happiness. And when people are happy and connected, that's one thing that helps cultivate trust. And if anybody wants other, I love the ideas you've shared for icebreakers at the beginning to get people really connecting and talking. My blog is full of all kinds of quick, easy icebreakers you can do, whether you're in person or online. So just go to better-teams.com and look for blogs, or we can link to that in the show notes too. But I I think that's a huge part of it. To me, the theme is I'm hearing all that you shared with us today, and I'm so grateful for the knowledge and insight and research you've done and sharing this with us. I'm hearing like a theme of 
relationships and people matter, right? They really matter. It's not just about the work and the goal. It's about people and their values and their families and their communities. And and leaders need to lean into that and take time to really get to know them. What would be kind of like, you know, as as a closing thought here from you, Erin, what would be like your best advice for leaders who get this and want to do this, but maybe they're feeling a little overwhelmed by it as well? Yeah, I think it's the advice would be to start small, really to try what is one thing that you can try this week. And I think showing the vulnerability to your team is also so key to say, like, look, I don't have all the answers. I want to try something. Or maybe it's that you have a team meeting and you're saying, you know, I have this idea. How can you help me make it 10% better? So you're going to them to say, like, I want to do something, but I also want your input. But I put in the work. I want to prove that I put in the work. And so maybe that's a way. So versus offloading the ideas to your team, you're kind of, you have a starting point. But that's what I would recommend. Is there, like, one thing that you can do? And specifically for teams, I think that thing is around psychological safety. You know, there was this project at Google. Charles Duhigg wrote this amazing New York Times piece about it years ago that I reference all the time. And they found that the number one driver of successful teams was psychological safety. And that's what allows people to to feel brave enough to share ideas and to make mistakes and to take big swings. So I would say you're maybe start with an exercise around building psychological safety or a training around psychological safety and focus on that. Fantastic advice. Fantastic advice. I love it. Erin, I know people are going to want, if they aren't already subscribed to your to your newsletter, how can they find out more about you, about Charter? How can they get this great newsletter in their inboxes every week? Yeah, well, we our website is charterworks.com. And you can find all the information there. You can sign up to our free newsletter. We right now do two newsletters a week. So one on Sundays is this really comprehensive email where we cover everything that's happened that week, what companies are doing. We give you research-based best practices. We do a, a Q&A. So we've had you know, master facilitator Priya Parker. We've had HBS professors, Stanford professors, leading academics in the space. We've had amazing practitioners that can share, you know, share kind of what they're doing and what they're going through. And so that's on Sundays. And then on Fridays, we send a book briefing. So we read one business, new business book every week, and then we summarize it. So kind of like the Cliff's Notes so that you don't have to. We know people are so busy and stretched <laughs> so thin right now. Right. So we, we started that as a way to, to help the people in our community. I love that. Yeah. Give me the cliff notes. So I, I love yeah. to read too, but it takes a while. So I love when someone can tell me, here's the best nuggets from the book. That's fantastic. Yeah. Erin, thank you so much for all the work you're doing and for for sharing all this with my listeners today. I am so glad you came. I learned a lot and I'm, I'm kind of excited and you got me thinking in a different way about the future of work. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. What a great way to wrap up season one, having Erin Growl with Charter here today was such a thrill for me. She's such a rich wealth of knowledge, and I hope you got great ideas and things that you can use and take back into your own teams. Stay tuned, and season two will be here before you know it. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. As leaders, it's important that we all keep learning. 
Visit www.better-teams.com to learn more about the Better Teams model and how you can assess your team. I'd love to hear from you, so please connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website and join Forward, my online community, where you can share, learn, and network with me and other leaders from around the globe. If you want more pragmatic ideas and tips to lead better teams, please subscribe and share this podcast with your colleagues. Thank you and have a great day.